Can you turn, if you have a Bible, to Luke chapter 2, please? In a moment, I shall be reading from verse 39. As a church, our plan until Easter is to go through Luke together. We've been in chapter 1 the last couple of weeks. Um, We're not reading the whole chapter today. We're going to be zeroing in on a particular section. And the passage that we're looking at is drawing on many of the same themes that we've been reflecting on already in our worship time together this morning. Uh, The Lord is speaking clearly to us. The title for today's message is this, Searching for Jesus. Searching for Jesus. Are you searching for Jesus? Would you say that you found Jesus? Would you say that he's found you? Would you say that you're searching for something? You're not sure if it's Jesus or not, but you have a sense of, I'm searching for an answer. Uh, if, that, if that's you, I, I do think you're in an excellent place here today. This passage of scripture is one that speaks to the searching of our hearts. And more than that, it points us to the answers that we are desperately in need of. So let's read this passage together from Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Verse 39 to the end of the chapter. Luke 2, verse 39. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these precious words of scripture. We thank you that your word is truth to us. Your word is light to us. Your word is life for us. Because through your word we find revealed Jesus Christ, your son. And in him we have freedom from sin We have abundant life. We have eternal life. We thank you that as, Father, we look to Jesus, we 
discover in him the fulfilling of all our heart's longings. And Lord, I pray where there are many things that would seek to distract us, where there's an evil one that seeks to pick off the seed as it's scattered, I pray please let the seed today fall into rich soil, that it would produce a harvest. Lord, we want to know you more and grow in our love and adoration. We love you so much. Help us and help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think any of us that have been Christians for any length of time would recognize that there are often moments when we are dumbfounded and confused and perplexed by God's apparent, peculiar decision-making in our lives. Why have you done that? Why is this happening? God, what are you doing? Why are you treating me like this? Surely, surely this can't be for my good. Surely this is a mistake. Surely you've got this wrong. Why is this happening? And it's in those moments that there is the greatest potential for spiritual growth, but also perhaps the greatest temptation uh, to, to run from God, maybe. Maybe in that moment where you're asking those big questions, you can begin to uh, doubt in a serious way and it can cause a real struggle within you. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm pretty sure you can say, yeah, I've had a season like that. Uh, and in a room of this size, there will be many of you for whom you'll say, that's my current season. I'm confused, I'm perplexed, I'm struggling, I'm anxious. I, I might even go as far as to say, I think I've lost Jesus. Where is he? Now this passage deals with these issues. It deals with these issues in a very powerful and a very profound way. And there are some very crucial lessons for us. And the, the gospel here is really condensed right down into what are the very first recorded words of Jesus Christ. Think about it. His very first recorded words. That's got to be significant. The very first recorded words of Jesus Christ. And the gospel writers have made it very clear in the writings of the gospel, they've had to be really focused on what's included. Like, if we included everything, there wouldn't be enough space in all the world for the books that would be required. There's so much they're saying to be said. So what's included in the kindness and the provision of God is here because we need this. We need what's here. And how must we need these opening words of Jesus which we're going to think about together? I wonder how many of you uh, can remember any of your primary school assemblies. Does anyone remember any specific assemblies from primary school? Not many hands. Jim does. What was it, Jim? Typical. <laughs> No surprises there. Jim, stand up. Silly boy. <laughs> I can literally see it unfolding before my eyes. So I remember this one assembly. I was about six, seven, so I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian 
household where the gospel was being shared with me all the time and going to a church not too dissimilar to this one where I was learning about Jesus all the time. And came to faith at a very young age, really. Um, remember it quite well. I was, I was four when I had an awareness of my need for Jesus to be my savior. But I remember this assembly because the deputy head, Mr. Osborne, he's probably not around anymore, he's quite old at the time, read this passage out. And he, as he got to the end of this passage, he said to us all, he said, Jesus upset his mum and dad. Jesus did not obey his parents. Therefore, perhaps, he said, Jesus was a sinner after all. It was a mic, then that was literally a mic drop. He just dismissed the, dismissed the assembly. We went, we went to our class. Now, I remember genuinely at that age going, no, that's not right. I remember at that age feeling angry. Like the witness of the Holy Spirit within me said, that's wrong, what he's just said. You know that's wrong. Now, I didn't at that point in time have some of the theological understanding that walking with Jesus scans you over many years and reading the Bible and understanding why that's wrong. But when we encounter a problem like this in the Bible, and this is a challenging passage, we need to think it through, which we're doing together. When we encounter a problem like this, when you're in a place and you're like, right, I'm very confused, uh, I'm perplexed even, you see, my premise for what a good God is like and how a good God should act doesn't align with this situation that I'm facing or perhaps with the passage that I'm reading. There's a conflict here. Let me say to you, uh, my friends, there is in that moment gold for you to find and to discover. There really is. And in my life where I've found the greatest struggles and the greatest tensions and where I've been most perplexed, I've had to dig, 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 dig to work hard to find, God, what are you saying here and what are you doing here? And in this passage where we've got questions, the conclusion clearly isn't that Jesus was a sinner. And I was in preparation for today, I, I, around our breakfast table, I put the question to my kids. It's like, could Jesus be a sinner if he disobeyed his parents? They're like, no, 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 he couldn't have been. I said, well, why? And we talked through why he couldn't have been a sinner. And, and the best answer to that question, there are many, but one of the best answers is what we find in Romans chapter 1, which is that he was attested as the Son of God through the power of his resurrection. Like, he overcame the, the grave. He, he, he lives today. Death couldn't hold him. Only the sinless, holy one was able to overcome the curse of sin, which is death. And if indeed he is sinful, he couldn't have been resurrected. And if he's not resurrected, and I said to the kids, I said, guys, my life is literally a sham and a joke. Because everything that I live for hinges on the fact that Jesus is alive. And I know he's alive because I know Jesus. Because I know him. Because he by his spirit lives within me. What a privilege. So we're going to come to this passage in a moment, but I want to remind us of some of the things that were said earlier in chapter 2. Jesus is born. We've had all of this dynamic activity of the Holy Spirit, and wonderful things are being said about this baby, this child who has come to Mary and to Joseph. In 
uh, chapter 2, verse 10, the angels are speaking to the shepherds and they say, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And then we, we flick over and the baby is being presented and Simeon, this man who God had said, you, you won't die until you've seen the Messiah. Uh, it says this of him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, just visualize it with me. The baby in front of him. This old man has been waiting, faithfully waiting, sure of the promise. You'll see, you'll see the Savior. It's just try and this, this pink, pink chubby baby, brown chubby baby, actually probably. He, he sees this baby in front of him and he says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the people of Israel. Imagine you're Mary and Joseph, and you're hearing all of these things spoken about this baby that has come to you, the Savior of the world, a light for the Gentiles. Who are they? That's us a light, a revelation to those who aren't Jews. There's going to be a revelation. He's the savior of the world. And then, I mean, I remember the first time when we had, when we had Sky taking this baby home. You're, you're just like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> like this precious baby. I don't want to drop her. I'm like, you're just so aware. But imagine the son of God is your baby, Right? Imagine taking that baby home. Imagine changing that baby's nappy. Imagine an argument with your husband or wife and the baby who's the son of God is just there in the corner, right? Imagine the sense of responsibility Imagine what it must have been like for them, this precious child, this son of God. And we're not told much about his childhood. We're told very little, actually. But what we're told is, well, he grew strong, he grew in wisdom, and he grew in the favor of God. In other words, actually, quite an ordinary child. And we have to see this as remarkably unremarkable. See, Jesus lived as a human, and Jesus indeed was, is, fully human. The Son of God, he's fully God, and he's fully human. This is a wonderful revelation. We often speak of it as a mystery, but actually it's a wonderful revelation. It's been revealed to us that God, the Eternal One, came into this world and took on flesh, 
at no point ceasing to be God or losing any aspect of being God, you can say, God added to himself flesh and humanity and became a baby, added the humility of it. And he grew up as an ordinary child in many regards. I mean, he would have broken the odd ceramic pot, I'm sure, around the house. He, he, he would have caught a virus. He would have got sick. He would have cried as a baby. He had siblings. Can you imagine having Jesus as a sibling? Right, just think about it for a moment. Right, just think about it. Like, this happens to us all the time. Two kids come along. You won't believe what he just did. <laughs> sort it out. You see, if, if your sibling is the son of God, right? We know, we know Jesus didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it must have been a bit of a mixed blessing having Jesus as a sibling. He grew up in a family. He lived an ordinary life. But there was something profoundly extraordinary about him. And so we're told every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They are committed, faithful, God-fearing Jews. And so every year the Passover festival would happen. And we're told Mary and Joseph would travel to Jerusalem every year. Usually it was just the men that would travel in. Women were very welcome, but the way in which this society was structured, that was unusual. But the fact that Mary is traveling in is an indication of her faith, is an indication of how she adored God and how she desired to be right there in Jerusalem as the festivals were being celebrated. So she would travel with Joseph to Jerusalem for the Passover. And on this occasion, they have Jesus with them. Jesus may well have traveled with them on other occasions to the festival, but we're told that he's 12 years of age. That's a significant detail. At age 12 to 13 in Jewish culture, in ancient Jewish culture, the boys transition into adulthood. So at age 12 and 13, they are increasingly being apprenticed by their father. So that what would have happened as Jesus traveled into Jerusalem is Joseph, his dad, would be walking him around the sites and would be pointing out to him the various uh, facets of the temple and retelling him the stories of the Israelites. And he would have been retelling him the story of the Passover, how the Jews were in slavery in Egypt, and how God called Moses to speak to the Pharaoh, and how through Moses, despite his weakness and his reluctance, God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out of their slavery through the sprinkling of the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses of the Israelites. And in the night, the angel of death passed over, and where the blood was poured out, the angel of death passes over the household. But judgment came to all those who didn't have the blood. And how miraculously the sea was parted, and they were left through. And we take the Passover, son. This Passover is for us to remember the salvation of our God. He would have been apprenticing Jesus as a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. He would have been being trained in that trade. And the young boy, Jesus, would be absorbing all of this in, taking it all in. And so the Passover festival has ended and they begin to travel back home. After returning... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. 
assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Now, you might say, hang on a sec. They traveled a whole day and didn't realize that Jesus was missing. We have to understand that in these travel parties, or what would have been spoken of as a caravan, you would have had great uh, crowds traveling together. The journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem would have been about 70 miles, um, and you didn't hail an Uber. You had to walk it, probably. You may have had a camel if you had some money, uh, but they were poor. We know that because they had the turtle doves, which were the sacrificed animal for those who couldn't afford a, a lamb. So they would have traveled in families, with relatives, with friends. So the Nazareth traveling party were all together. And also you have to bear in mind that Joseph and Mary's experience of Jesus is you ask him to do something, he does it. Right? The most obedient child who has ever lived. He's not rebellious. He doesn't just go off and mess about and irritate his parents with a lack of disobedience. No, he's the most obedient child. So they've always presumed upon him in his obedience, which is what's happened here. So they probably get to the end of the day. Right, dinner. Where's Jesus? Jesus, where are you? Mary can't find him. She goes to Joseph. Jesus is with you, is he? Joseph's like, no, 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 he's with you, wasn't he? I assumed he was with you. No, he's not with me. So uh, if you're a parent here, you've had that discussion, okay? You've had that, you, that moment's happened. I thought he was with you. No, 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 I, I thought he was with you. Well, where is he? Where is he? And again, we have four children. I don't know how many occasions we've had this moment. <laughs> and it's a horrible moment. It's a horrible moment. Where, where is he? They search up and down. Where is he? Can't find him. So they take another day to travel back to Jerusalem. <coughs> And then they, they enter into Jerusalem and they're searching around. Where is he? Where is Jesus? Where is he? They'd lost him. They were seeking him. They were feeling anxious, desperate, desperate. A very common human experience in the years, months, weeks, days leading up to the finding of Jesus is a sense of anxious searching, seeking answers. I have a sense of I've lost something. One of my favorite moments when I was pastor of the church in Portsmouth was when this man, we were baptizing him, and he was in his mid-30s. And he'd been in a heavy rock band for much of his life and was a great character. At his baptism, and friends of his who'd been in church for many years had been praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. And he said at his baptism, I loved how he put it, he said, I, I'm not searching anymore. He said, I, I'm not searching anymore. I feel like I'm, I, I have found something. Jesus says, Seek. And you will find. Seek and you will find. So I want to say to you, if you're here today and either you're seeking for something you feel like you've never quite found yet, it's the sense of why am I here? What am I here for? Is there something more to life than this? 
if it's a sense of all the things that I've put my trust in haven't quite dealt with that seeking sensation within me. Right, I want to say to you, Jesus is the one you're seeking for whether you know it or not. And Jesus is the one, funnily enough, who's seeking you. For he says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. You see, this is the incredible flip moment when you become a Christian. When you go, I was searching and searching, and then I found Jesus. And then you realize, no, 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 no. He was searching for me and found me. And you begin to piece the story together, and that becomes quite clear. So they, they, they enter into the temple, and Jesus is among the, the scribes and the teachers. And again, you've got a picture, the big bearded scribes with their scrolls, and this 12-year-old boy is right in the midst of them. It's an awkward age, 12. I mean, it's just a, trick. it's a tricky age. 12-year-old boy. He sat there, and he's asking questions, and more than that, he's giving answers. And it says they were astonished by him. They were amazed by him. They've never seen anything like this. I love those, um, like, I'm not like a Marvel fan. I'm certainly not a comic reader, before you judge me too quickly. But I do love those, I love those soup moments when, in a film, suddenly this person, some, some incredible power comes out, or some incredible ability. Or, or I love, in a talent show, this kind of, presentation of this person you're not expecting much from them and then suddenly you see something extraordinary and you're, it's like this jaw-dropping moment and tears well up I love those moments there's a recording of when Pavarotti Pavarotti's first recording he steps in as a substitute tenor at the last minute and there's this this old recording you can find it on YouTube and He's singing this phenomenal song. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember the piece. It's a Mozart piece. And he hits this note, and he carries this note for what seems like an age. And then at the end, you hear the audience gasping. (gasps) They're gasping. They've never heard anything like it. And then at the end, this kind of, bravo, bravo, they're kind of applauding. They've never seen anything like this. The wisdom, the insight, the knowledge. Who is this? They were amazed by him. They were astonished by him. As were Mary and Joseph as they walk in and they see he's there. That's our boy with the scribes. They weren't expecting it. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. This is the question. Why have you done this to us? What are you doing? We're very confused by this, Jesus. This isn't like you. Jesus, surely you knew how worried we'd be. You knew we were, surely you knew we'd left. I mean, three days. I mean, didn't you notice that we weren't around? Jesus, why have you treated us like this? You ask that question. Why have you done this? 
when the disciples were in the storm. They were in the boat and the waves were kicking up and the storm was raging and Jesus is asleep on a cushion and the disciples go, go to him and they wake him up and they say to him, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care? You see, if you cared, there's no way you would be acting like this. There's a conflict between my understanding of God here and the reality that I'm living. And even for Mary and Joseph, you've had these last 12 years with Jesus. Even Mary and Joseph, who'd heard all the prophecies about him. Mary and Joseph, who had the angelic visitation, who had such privileged perspective on who this child really is, they are in this moment perplexed and confused and struggling to make sense of it all. So if you feel like that sometimes, you're in good company. Mary and Joseph are having this very moment. Don't understand what's happening here. She says, your father and I. Your father. This one who's been training you and apprenticing you and investing in you. Your father, the implication is you've really disrespected your father. You've disrespected me. Now, here are the first recorded words of Jesus. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Why were you searching for me? The first words of Jesus in John's gospel are very similar to these. These are the very first words of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 38. He says this, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And then his next words, come and you'll see. What are you looking for? In the provision of God, this is a question that is being asked to us all. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? What's missing in your life? What's what's absent in your life? What are you looking for? Is it a relationship? Is it security? Is it acceptance? Is it meaning? Is it purpose? Is it a contribution to it? What is it that you're searching for? What are you looking for? It's the question. What are you looking for? And then he says, come. Come, you'll see. And in this case, he says, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house. You see the the interesting dynamics that's at play here. Mum and dad have come to reprimand their 12-year-old child who happens to be the eternal son of God, right? He might be 12, but he's always existed. (laughs) So we have this incredible dynamic happening here because in his humility and becoming a human and taking on our flesh, he truly lived a life of weakness. So he empties himself. It's um, what in Philippians 2 we say, he didn't grasp onto equality with God. He, He truly knows what it is to live a human life. And yet he's truly the son of God. And he gives them a piece of information here which is crucial. 
didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. I don't know what you mean, Jesus. And what he tells us here is crucial for each of us to understand. You see, just as Joseph had taken Jesus, as it were, arm round his shoulder on the Passover festival, and just as Joseph was walking through Jerusalem and pointing out to Jesus what this all meant and why this happened, I think it's fair to say that his heavenly father at the same time is saying, this is what this is going to mean for you, son. This is the real significance of the Passover. In Jerusalem, this is where the blood is being spilt. You know, son, it's going to be your blood that's going to need to be shed. You realize that these, these animals, these lambs, these doves, they can't do it. You know it's going to need to be your blood, son. And as he walked through Jerusalem, no doubt he would have seen scenes of crucifixion around the city. And as he walked past them, one day that, that's going to be you, my son. One day you're going to be pinned there. One day you're going to be executed like that. Because you've come, my son, to be the savior of the world. Because you've come with a great mission. Because, my son, the beautiful, wonderful, eternal relationship that we have always enjoyed, we're going to share with every nation, tribe, and tongue but we're going to have to deal with sin once and for all. We're going to have to deal with everything that separates humanity from us. We're going to have to deal with this. It has to be dealt with. We have to do it thoroughly. And Jesus, when he was executed aged 33, was just as innocent and just as pure and just as undeserving as the 12-year-old in the temple, indeed, as the baby in the manger. Think of that. Totally innocent. And Jesus here shows us that his true sense of identity is that he's a son to his father. He has to be in his father's house. He has to be about his father's business. And we were hearing it earlier on today that you and I have been made to know the father. Do you know that's why we exist? That we might be brought into a true and wonderful, real relationship with the Father. Jesus says this in John 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled, my friends. You know, Mary and Joseph came with troubled heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that, I am, so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way I am going. What's he saying? I have to go and prepare a place for you in my father's house. How does he prepare the place for us? He's crucified. He's executed. He's paying the price. So that you may have a place in the Father's house. 
So that when Jesus says, it's necessary for me to be here. And in Luke 24, he says on the Emmaus Road, as he's walking with the disciples, after his crucifixion, after the resurrection, that confused, that puzzled. I don't know why this had to happen. I don't know why this happened. And Jesus said, don't, don't you know it was necessary? It was necessary for the Messiah to die. It was necessary for him to be resurrected. Don't you know it was necessary? The crucifixion is necessary for you and I to know God. Necessary for me to know the Father. Necessary for me to belong in his house. Oh, it's necessary that I'm here, he says to Mary and Joseph. Because this is my mission. There's no place I would rather be than in the Father's house. And we're not talking about brick and mortar. We're talking about you and I being the sons and the daughters of God that we're destined to be. That Jesus has come to make possible for us. That's why he stayed behind in the temple. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why we sing, is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy like he is? To to break the scrolls, to reveal the names of those that he has redeemed. And the amazing thing is, it says here in verse 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. She treasured them in her heart. There are moments when things happen in our lives and we don't understand them and they're confusing. And we feel like we haven't got the answers to some of the questions. Do you know what we need to do in those moments? We need to treasure it. We need in our hearts to just go, do you know, I'm not understanding what's happening right now, but I I do believe God is working. I'm going to treasure this. Mary treasured these things in her heart, and it wasn't until Jesus was resurrected that she suddenly remembered and recalled, ah, I see now. He is the son of the Father, and by his death, I am brought into this same relationship. The Father's house is where I belong and is where I get to dwell. How do we know that these were Jesus' first words? Because Mary would have told Luke about this. Because there came a moment where she was sharing, hey, let me tell you what happened when he was 12. It was amazing. I mean, we, we'll never forget it because it was traumatic for us. But wow, now I can see even then this gospel at work. Why don't we stand? Can the band come back, please, as well? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a good and perfect plan for our lives. And oftentimes, Father, there are moments when we're just simply confused and puzzled by what you're doing. Sometimes we we find questions go unanswered, but we thank you that the biggest question has been emphatically answered. The biggest question, how can I know God? How do I get right with God? I thank you that in searching for Jesus, we're led to the Father through him. And I pray for each of us here today that we would know again a, a glorious and wonderful renewal of our faith I pray we would know again the great privilege of being sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, 
I pray we would know the privilege of having a room in the Father's house, a room that has been made for each of us to dwell together as your family. And I pray, Lord, may we be those that invite many others to join and celebrate with us this wonderful privilege. Help us here today, Lord. Those that are struggling, those that are anxious, those that are searching, those that are looking for answers, may, Lord Jesus, they look no further than you, I pray. Help us to seek after you. More than that, help us to know you've sought us out and have found us. We worship and love you. Amen. Let's worship together.